Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Shaw gives uh, Burgoyne the nickname of Gentleman Johnny, and maybe that's his, that's his, his uh, uh, legacy. That's Norman Poser, author of the new book, From the Battlefield to the Stage, The Many Lives of General John Burgoyne, and he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle Series, with two new releases, The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is author Norman S. Poser and he'll be discussing his new book on General John Burgoyne, From the Battlefield to the Stage. This is a wonderful look at a very fascinating character in the history of the American Revolution. Many people have discussed John Burgoyne in the past, but not recently. And Norman Poser gives us a fresh look at a very important uh, and critical figure in the American Revolution. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Norman Poser. Norman Poser, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Tell us about your background. Well, I was born in England, uh, came to America to live here when I was 11. Uh, I went to school here in New York. I've lived in New York most of my life. Uh, I went to Harvard College and Harvard Law School. And after law school, I did some work as a journalist, uh, both with a newspaper and a magazine. Uh, then I, well, I was in the army for a couple of years and, uh, I was, um, uh, regulator, uh, at, um, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which, uh, regulates, uh, stock markets among other things. Uh, I then moved to a stock exchange and I was uh, executive vice president of the American stock exchange. I've been a consultant for the world bank and, other international financial institutions in India, Brazil, a couple of other countries. And uh, then I, I, I'm a retired law teacher. I, I, I taught law for about 27 years uh, at Brooklyn Law School. And uh, I retired. Uh, when I retired, I decided to spend the rest of my time writing. Uh, I wrote, I've written... I wrote one book, which was more of a personal thing, and it was a it was a, uh, a story about uh, the um, uh, Scand- the the Holocaust in Scandinavia, which many people don't know anything about. Uh, and the book is called "Escape: uh, A Jewish Scandinavian Family in the Second World War." Uh, and having written that book, I, it was self-published. I then. Uh, started writing. I, I wrote a, 
Uh, that, that book is called Escape. I mentioned that. Um, I wrote a biography of the 18th century judge, uh, Lord Mansfield, who's one of the greatest judges uh, uh, of all time. In fact, our American Supreme Court um, uh, cites cases that he decided 25 years, 250 years ago. Uh, and then I wrote a book on the uh, London 18th century theater in London uh, and David Garrick. Uh, and um, that's about it. I've, uh, now, now I've written a book on uh, another 18th century character, uh, uh, John, uh, General John Burgoyne. Uh, and that's about it. What inspired you to write this book? Well, I didn't know much about Burgoyne. I knew what a lot of people knew, uh, know that uh, General Burgoyne uh, surrendered his army at uh, Saratoga in 1777, and that, that uh, some people regard that as the turning point in the, in the Revolutionary War. Uh, uh, brought the, the French then decided that they would join the Americans, and that was a key thing. And I think the other thing about it was that uh, it gave uh, the Americans the idea that they could win. Uh, if, they could, if they could defeat a, uh, a British army, a sizable, for those days, a sizable British army, uh, then uh, they would get their, their, their independence. They, they wouldn't back off and they wouldn't get beaten. So uh, uh, what I knew that I knew those maybe that that maybe not even that. Uh, but I was doing research for uh, the the theater book, which I told you about, the the uh, 18th century theater. And to my surprise, I found a letter uh, that Burgoyne wrote to David Garrick, famous actor and theater manager of the Drury Lane Theater. And it seems that he had written a play. That is, Burgoyne had written a play. I had no idea that he was a uh, a, a, a playwright as well as a, as a general. And more than that, it was a very interesting letter. It was written in a sort of uh, humorous way, but, but it, he also said that he didn't want any profits from it. The profits would go to a fund for uh, aging uh, indigent actors and their families that Garrick had set up. Uh, he didn't, uh, and uh, so here was a general who was not only a, uh, uh, a playwright, but also a very generous man. And I looked into it and I found that uh, there had been some biographies of him, but nothing since the early 1980s, over 40 years ago. Uh, so I decided I would uh, write a biography. That, that was what inspired me. Talk about Burgoyne's early life. Well, Burgoyne was born in London. Uh, he, was, um, he was sent to Westminster School when he was 10 years old. Uh, he um, was there for five years, uh, that was the only formal education he had. But what was interesting about this was that the headmaster of that school, a clergyman called Dr. Nichol, uh, was a very unusual headmaster. Uh, unlike unlike uh, uh, most 
uh, school teachers of that time, he didn't believe in in beating children. Uh, if uh, he said that if they if if they did something wrong, uh, it was enough uh, that he um, uh, it was enough that they uh, confess and and show some repentance uh, and the contempt of their fellows, the other students, would be a much greater punishment than any beating. It was a sort of enlightened point of view that wasn't very common at the time. The reason I think it's important in his life was that when, many years later, when uh, Burgoyne became a colonel in the British Army and had a regiment, uh, he commanded a regiment, he owned a regiment under British, the way this was done, the, the, the colonel uh, actually did own his regiment, but he could also decide how he would handle things. And he didn't believe in flogging, which was the way they, the way of punishment even for minor crimes in, in, in most regiments in England as well as in other countries. It was a very enlightened view. And I couldn't help thinking that where did he get that from? And I think the five years he spent at Westminster School uh, and seeing the example of uh, the headmaster there uh, uh, made him a much more humane man and made him a very successful leader. I mean, he may not seem successful in the sense that he, he ended up with a great defeat, but his men uh, had extremely loyal to him. And even after the surrender, I, I, don't, I know of no word said against him by any of his officers or his ordinary soldiers who were, who, who were under him. So that, uh, and after, after five years, when he was 15, he joined the army. And in those days, you, uh, it wasn't unusual for teenagers to be officers in the army. If you had enough money, you, you could actually purchase a commission in the army. And that's what, that's what I think his mother did for him. Uh, and so uh, that, was, that basically uh, was his early life. Discuss the importance of his elopement. Well, yes. Uh, he became friendly with a man uh, who was actually a few years older than he was, but uh, uh, but he was the this man was the son and heir of the Earl of Derby, to pronounce it in the English way. Here we would say Derby, um, and uh, he then was invited to uh, the home of uh, the Earl which was uh, up in, uh, in northern England, near, near Manchester, uh, in, in the county of Lan Lancashire. Um, and uh, he fell in love, uh, he was about 28 at the time, uh, with the daughter, with uh, the youngest daughter of the Earl of Derby. Uh, she was, a tw she was uh, probably about maybe 19 or 20 when they met, but a few years later when she was uh, 23, uh, she she must have been in love with him, uh, and uh, they uh, uh, he asked the earl for uh, his his daughter's hand in marriage. The 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 uh, earl wasn't very pleased about that because here was a man who didn't have a title, didn't have a huge amount of money, 
Uh, and although he was a, seemed like a very decent, honest man, uh, the Earl refused. And they took the kind of reckless step of, uh, of eloping. And they, they went to France and actually lived there for five years in France and then in Italy. Um, the Earl uh, eventually, by that time they had a child, and so the the earl had a grandchild, and uh, he uh, he was sort of softened and accepted uh, Burgoyne into the family, and that became a very important thing, because in the 18th century in England, uh, a, a man who didn't have a lot of money or didn't have a, a noble title, uh, really, if he wanted to be a success in politics. Uh, or and uh, in in the, certainly in the military, uh, you needed a sponsor, and uh, from then on, uh, the um, Earl of Derby, his son, and eventually his grandson, uh, supported. Uh, they were very influential and powerful in the government. They had the ear of the king, who was a friend of the Earl of Derby, and uh, I think he uh, he he. However, however effective he may have been as a, as a soldier, as an officer in the army, I don't think he would have got to be a general had he not been, got some influence uh, through his connection with the uh, the, uh, the Stanley family, which was the, the they were, their last name was Stanley, uh, they, uh, with, with, uh, 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 with him, with the, uh, and he actually later on uh, the Lord Strange, the son of the Earl of Derby, died before the Earl died, so his grandson became the Earl, who was sort of the nephew by marriage uh, of Burgoyne, and they had a very close friendship. So that was that was the uh, the uh, he ran for uh, the Parliament to in the town of Preston in northern England, which is an area where the um, the Earl of Derby uh, uh, was in, was influential, but they didn't. The they were Whigs. They were Whigs and Tories, and the two main parties. They were Whigs. Tories had been the the um, the uh, had had been the members of Parliament for the town of Preston. Uh, there was a very rough election. Uh, a one of the few uh, really democratic elections that that took place in England in those days uh, uh, through the help and financing by the Earls, Earls of Derby. Uh, Burgoyne became a member of parliament. And even while he was a colonel and then a general, he was uh, he was a member of parliament representing the, uh, uh, the town of Preston he was extremely. He was, he was very reformist in his views. He tried to fight corruption in uh, the East India Company, which controlled large parts of India at the time, and were very corrupt. Uh, they were taking huge bribes and extortions from the local uh, nabobs and the the rulers in India, um, and so that the elopement. Uh, became a very important part of his life, but I mean, it, it had conse consequences that were very important. 
but um, one could be cynical about it and said, well, you you know, married the the girl, the young woman, uh, uh, for to further his career. But everything points to the fact that he was uh, they they were had a very happy marriage. Uh, they were devoted to each other. Uh, she died uh, 25 years after the elopement uh, in in 1776, actually when when um, uh, Burgoyne was uh, in America. What was his service like in the Seven Years' War? <clears throat> the, the, the Seven Years' War was a was a world war. Uh, it was fought in Canada, in America, uh, in Europe, in India. Or it was really a, maybe the first real world war that that, that existed. Britain, Britain's enemy, as you, usually, was France. It was there, and um, Portugal was an ally of Britain, and Spain was an ally of France. Uh, the Portuguese were poor, and uh, they they weren't able to resist any attack by the Spanish. And Burgoyne headed uh, an English, a British contingent of soldiers uh, who were sent to Portugal. And um, he he um, commanded uh, ca- the cavalry and infantry uh, troops in a lightning raid on a Spanish town just across the border from Portugal. And it was a very, he was a, he, it was a, a very um, aggressive and innovative uh, attack he made. Uh, he, uh, because he had a difficult time getting there, he wanted to get there before dawn. Um, and so he decided to leave, the, leave most of the infantry behind and attack this town. The town was called Valencia de Alcantara. Alcantara. And um, instead of, so he left most of the infantry behind, but some of the infantry, he told them to get on the horses behind the cavalrymen. So there were two men on a horse and they galloped into this town, (coughs) which was where there was a lot of Spanish army there as well as a lot of supplies, and uh, it was, he, he achieved a, a surprise raid. It was and captured the town, captured the supplies, uh, killed or took prisoner uh, anyone, any soldiers who resisted him, and um, uh, it was an enormous success. And it made Burgoyne a hero. He was a colonel in the army then, although he had a temporary rank of brigadier because he was the troops that, he, that were put together to do this were, formed a brigade. Um, but we have to say that it was a sideshow in the war. It was not all that important in the larger sense, except it made Burgoyne known at home as a hero, as a military hero. Um, uh, the only negative thing I would say about this from Burgoyne's point of view was that um, when he fought in America in 1777 in the Revolutionary War, he didn't behave like a general. He behaved like a colonel. That, by that I mean he was in the thick of the fighting. 
Whereas a, uh, and that was true in two or th three battles during, during, uh, of, uh, during his campaign that led to Saratoga. Um, uh, he was in the, in the whereas a, a, his opponent at Saratoga was American General Horatio Gates. He stayed two, two miles behind the fighting where, from where he could get through through messengers and so on he could get a an uh, he could understand what was happening in the battle as a whole if you're in the middle of the fighting uh you you can't you you and I, that i think that was an unfortunate thing i think he always regarded himself in a way as a colonel not a, as a as a fighting colonel uh, and he was extremely brave, physically brave. He was in the fighting. He could easily have been killed uh, in, in in any of these battles. Um, so, uh, and also I mentioned one other thing that's kind of interesting about his participation in the Seven Years' War. Uh, the British um, uh, decided to uh, capture... Uh, the island of Belle-Ile, which is about 14 miles off in the Atlantic, off the French coast, it was a and uh, it was uh, he went there really as a as a almost like an observer because uh, he didn't command even though he was a colonel uh, in charge of an army he didn't uh, command a, a very large number of troops there and so he didn't so he wasn't really in the fighting however the general that was in charge which c commanded the british forces at belle isle which they eventually captured um uh, asked him or told him to to take a small boat and go to the french coast and meet the french a French duke who commanded the air, that area of France to um, uh, negotiate an exchange of prisoners, and that he did. He had lived in France and knew some of the French officers, and they, they it was a sort of like lawyers who who fight in court and then go and have a beer together. Uh, uh, Burgoyne uh, was entertained and very nicely by the. French, even while they were killing each other on Belle Isle, uh, everyone was very genteel there. They gave him champagne and foie gras and so on. And he he, he successfully negotiated uh, this um, uh, this uh, 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 exchange of prisoners. Uh, he wrote he wrote a long letter to his wife, which uh, fortunately. Uh, we have and uh, about the uh, the the whole the trip, which was only about three days uh, that he took. And and by the way, the as I, I think I said that the the what he did in Portugal was not, uh, which was a couple of years later, uh, was was not decisive or not really important. And and in the uh, the the um, uh, the uh, war as a whole uh, right after that uh, there was a peace treaty and uh, uh, the Belial was handed back to the French That's, that was basically his role in the he, he was his main role in 
the Seven Years' War. What was his involvement in the American Revolution before 1777? Well, um, in, in, in 1775, which was two years before um, Saratoga, uh, the um, British uh, forces under General Gage uh, were the main army of the uh, British army was in Boston and was basically trapped in in Boston where well, they could they weren't trapped because they could get out by sea but otherwise they were besieged in Boston and um the the um uh, lord germain who was the minister in london who who had responsibility for for the war um uh, had three generals uh, this was in 1775, and the when uh, the the war, the Revolutionary War, hadn't even started, but it was very much in in the minds of people. Um, he uh, they he sent three generals, Burgoyne, and two other generals named Howe and Clinton, uh, to Boston. It wasn't too clear what they were supposed to do when they got to Boston. Uh, I don't, uh, and uh, uh, maybe it was just to keep an eye on Gage. But um, uh, right after that, when, when, by the time they arrived in Boston, the war had started at uh, Lexington and Concord uh, outside Boston, uh, and um, uh, they, they were that that was. Uh, the war was on at that time. Uh, uh, the, that was in April, and I believe it was in June or July of uh, I think uh, that of 1775 that the uh, British tried to get a little more elbow room to have a little more space in Boston, and that's when they attacked uh, Bunker Hill. And uh, uh, Burgoyne uh, didn't have a big role in. Uh, in the Battle of Bunker Hill, he he did command some artillery, and there was a town nearby called Charlestown, and uh, Howe, who did command the troops in in going uh, attacking uh, Bunker Hill, uh, d- uh, uh, found that um, snipe, snipers in in Charlestown were were sniping at. Uh, sharp shooting at uh, British troops, he asked them. To, he asked Burgoyne to set fire to the town, which he did by using artillery. Um, Bunker Hill was a, technically it was a, a British victory, but it was a very very costly victory. The casualties were very great, and uh, and Burgoyne uh, felt that he was not serving any purpose. There, he didn't. He wasn't commanding anything, any any body of troops except in Bunker Hill, the artillery. He asked to come back, and he did go back. Uh, and a year, that was the first his first visit to America. His second visit uh, occurred the following year, 1776. Uh, a, a an American force under Benedict Arnold, who although he's known as a traitor to the American trader, uh, he was a brilliant general. And uh, he, in the middle of the winter, 
1775 to 6, he had led a, a force to try to capture Quebec. And uh, that was unsuccessful. The British General Carlton repelled them. And also a, there was a blizzard that wasn't too helpful for the attackers. And so the Americans were retreating when uh, Burgoyne arrived uh, in, uh, in Quebec. Uh, and Carlton's forces were pursuing the Americans. And uh, Burgoyne... Uh, was given a command of a of a, a detachment of British soldiers in that pursuit. Uh, however, uh, fall it was fall was coming on, winter was coming on, and Carlton was kind of slow and not very aggressive. And uh, the the big aim there was to capture the fort of Ticonderoga which is right at the south end of uh, Lake Champlain. And um, uh, Carlton decided with the winter coming on, he wasn't going to do it. And his generals, including Burgoyne, were totally disgusted uh, by Carlton's uh, lack of initiative, and lack of will to to go ahead and, and try to attack the, the fort. Uh, and uh, Burgoyne asked to, again, asked to come back, and he did return. Um, I believe it was in late 1776. And then uh, Lord Germain, who was running the war from London, uh, uh, told Burgoyne to develop a plan to try to end the war in, seven, in the next year, 1777. And the plan... Uh, which Burgoyne developed, called for um, his army, which was going to, which in, from coming in from Canada, would meet Howe's army. Now, Howe was up in Boston, but meanwhile, in 1776, he'd evacuated Boston by ship. His brother ran the, ran the fleet that was blockading Boston and uh, uh, took and managed to uh, capture first landing in Long Island and Staten Island, and then uh, attacking Manhattan. Uh, and uh, how uh, failed to uh, meet Washington's army. Washington was very smart and kept retreating. Uh, but it, but how was in charge in, in New York, <coughs> while Americans uh, commanded the forts on uh, north of New York. On, on the Hudson River. And the idea was that now with Howe in New York, uh, uh, Burgoyne would come down from Canada and meet Howe, and meet Howe's, uh, join Howe's army, because Howe would come up from New York City, uh, uh, de uh, defeat the, the, the forts, uh, the American-held American forts on the Hudson, including West Point, uh, and uh, meet at Albany. And that was the plan. It wasn't too clear what they would do after they met in Albany. Maybe they would then, they would sort of be cutting the American colonies in two, and New England one way and the rest the other way. Uh, but um, uh, that was the plan, and it was approved, it was actually approved personally by King George III. Um, but what happened was very different. 
from what was planned because Hal acted as if there was no, uh, Burgoyne wasn't there. He wrote to um, Germain in London saying he wanted to go south instead of north. He wanted to capture Philadelphia, which was the capital of the American colonies, uh, but uh, really had no strategic value in the in the war. And uh, Germain allowed him to do that uh, without even telling Burgoyne what he was doing. So you have real incompetence uh, in London, and you have Howe just fighting his own war. He did go south. He did capture Philadelphia, but when he by and he took them, he took his troops south by ship instead of going by land, which in effect led led left um, uh, Burgoyne facing the entire American army and militia uh, by himself, and uh, that was one of the you know people have been debating ever since. Who was who was at fault? Who was responsible for the defeat at Saratoga? And uh, uh, certainly, some responsibility has to be give, given to Howe, who kind of left uh, Burgoyne in the lurch, and to Germain, who allowed these two armies, the only two major armies, British armies in America at the time. Uh, to leaving leaving them uh, out of touch with each other, and uh, that was part of the making of a disaster. How did the Saratoga campaign change the trajectory of his career? Oh yes, it 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 did it it did enormously. I mean, Burgoyne was a was a sort of uh, wonder boy. He was a hero, a military hero. The king. The king went riding with him in Hyde Park, and when he uh, uh, got back, uh, 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 when he got back to England, he was treated by the government as a pariah, and the the government, the ministry under Lord North, uh, uh, tried in every way to um, uh, to uh, put all the blame on on uh, Burgoyne. Uh, and in fact, tried to get him to go back to America. Uh, his uh, one thing I, I ought to mention, which I think is very interesting, is that um, the the uh, what had happened was that when he when Burgoyne surrendered, General Gates, the American commander, gave gave him very generous terms. The, the, his army would be. Uh, would would go to the coast, would go to Boston, and uh, would be shipped on British ships. Would go, would be, would be uh, t- taken back to Britain, uh, promising not to, giving their word that they wouldn't uh, fight in America again. <coughs> uh, what happened was that the troops were marched to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where they spent the winter. Uh, in uh, horrible conditions, in a, in a New England in a New England winter without adequate housing, uh, they they never only taken their summer clothes. They thought that they they thought the Saratoga campaign would be a fast one, 
so they didn't have even have decent you know adequate clothing for a for a, a new england winter um worse than that uh one of the one of the senior officers the american officers actually brutalized some troops some of the men some of the uh british and in fact attacked uh, 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 t- attacked them with a bayonet or told a soldier to do that and um uh, burgoyne uh, complained loudly to the American commander, who was a general, uh, and they were sent to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Harvard Harvard College is. Uh, the Harvard College, which was empty part of the winter, the faculty wouldn't allow the any of the American troops or officers to use the housing at at uh, at Harvard. He Burgoyne persuaded the um, general in charge, the American general in charge of the captured army, uh, to bring a court-martial to start, uh, against the British, the, the excuse me, the American officer who had uh, attacked a soldier in a, in a who in an unprovoked attack on on one of the soldiers. Um, and the general agreed, except it would be an American court-martial. And Burgoyne said, well, he was going to prosecute the guy himself, the, the, the colonel who had brutalized the, Ameri- the British soldier. And he did. And the, the, uh, the uh, transcript of that trial is fascinating because Burgoyne acted as a lawyer, which he never had any training, as, no formal training as a lawyer. He, uh, he, he had an opening statement. He questioned witnesses. He cross-examined their witnesses and so on, had a closing statement. He really conducted himself like a, a trial lawyer. Uh, and that was on. He, and he wanted to do it himself. He wasn't going to allow his, a subordinate officer to be the prosecutor. Uh, as a, the, the thing didn't, as you might have guessed, the court-martial made up of American officers acquitted the guy. But I think it t- says a great deal about Burgoyne's character that he was so loyal to his troops, he, and he even just. He even wanted to and did um, uh, prosecute this this going on himself personally. What do you think John Burgoyne's ultimate legacy should be? Well, um, you know, he's uh, he's known for his 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 bravery, his uh, his um, lo- loyalty, his belief in the rule of law. Uh, his humanity. Uh, he had his faults. He was a very proud man. Uh, he acted recklessly in some cases, and maybe the first one was 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 uh, uh, eloping uh, uh, with a with a daughter of an earl. <coughs> but I think <coughs> I think that a hundred years after all of these events around in the 1890s, uh, George Bernard Shaw wrote a play 
called The Devil's Disciple, in which he has a character, General Burgoyne, uh, uh, come and uh, it, it takes place up in up in, New, in, in northern New York State, just before the a few weeks before this or a few days before the surrender. Uh, but it's fiction. Um, but he Shaw gives uh, Burgoyne the nickname of Gentleman Johnny, and maybe that's his that's his his. Uh, uh, legacy. That's the way we look at him. The the uh, uh, he was a gentleman, and he was a hu- he was a hum- humane and human uh, person. In some faults, and uh, um, he was a he was a he he's a womanizer. He was a womanizer. Uh, he was, uh, but. Uh, we know that because he said so in his own will. He, uh, uh, but he never. He, there's no no scandal ever attached uh, attached to his name, and so he must have been extremely discreet in in what he did. Because you know it could easily have been known. If, uh, but it, it, there's no no. We, all we know is that he himself said it in his will. He uh, and it certainly does not seem to have affected his his marriage but he was a he was he was a he was a, a, a wonderful conversationalist some of he was a poet he wrote well I, he was a i would say a very minor poet but he liked to write uh, a verse a light verse some of it kind of erotic uh he was a man who uh, everybody would want to wanted to meet him. He was welcome in any any house or the uh, in the um, gambling clubs in London and St James's Street in London, which still exist and still have gambling, uh, uh, or and in uh, fashionable drawing rooms. Uh, he was a, he was a much uh, loved character. Um, so that that's what I would say is his legacy. Norman Poser, thanks again. It's a pleasure. The music played in this episode include works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long. <laughs>